welcome to this inspiring message brought to you by Kingsword Media Outreach, a part of Kingsword Ministries International. We hope this teaching inspires you and transforms you into all that God has destined you to be. Please stay tuned for more information about Kingsword Ministries International following this message. May God bless you as you listen. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord. Please have your seat in God's presence. Whom the Son has set free is free indeed. You cannot be a slave of what Christ has set you free from. But if you're not aware of the freedom that he has given to you. As long as you remain ignorant of that freedom, you remain in bondage. So you're not in bondage because someone put you in bondage. You're in bondage because you're not aware of freedom. You're not in bondage because someone is against you. You are in bondage because you have not received freedom. So freedom is free from Christ Jesus. So your receiving of that freedom is what sets you free from bondage. You're not in bondage because freedom is not available. It says my people perish because they're void of knowledge. They are not aware that they've been set free. They're not aware that the chains are broken. They're not aware that the sacrifice is completed once and for all. Because of that, they remain in bondage. Glory to God. Hebrews chapter 10. From verse 1. It says, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of those of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, Make perfect those who draw near. So there is a sacrifice. There is a requirement for your perfection. There is what is required for you to be made perfect. By law, you and I are supposed to present something for our perfection. It is the legal requirement from God. And whether Christ or not, we are supposed to pay that price. Whether Christ or not. Whether Christ or not, we are supposed to bring the sacrifice. Without the sacrifice, we cannot be made perfect. No matter how 
much and how many times we draw near. So if Christ did not come, the need for the sacrifice would have continued. So Christ coming did not take away the need for his sacrifice. But replaced the sacrifice. So it means that for us to be free and redeemed completely, there has to be a sacrifice. How be it he's saying that the law has a shadow of good things to come. And it can never, by the same sacrifices that were continually offered year after year, make those who approach perfect. It says these sacrifices, in verse 3, serve as a reminder of sins every year. Every year. So every time we come before him, we come with a sacrifice. Anytime we approach, we approach with a sacrifice. The sacrifice comes before you present yourself. Before you ask of anything, before you approach the throne of grace, you present the sacrifice. It goes ahead of you, it goes before you. It speaks on your behalf before you show up. So if Christ had not come, you and I would come before God and bring that sacrifice so that we can approach him. We can come before him. We can appear before his throne. Then the sacrifice begins to speak for us. The blood shed begins to speak for us. So if you have, if you and I have confidence or believe the law, believe that part, that an atonement has to go forward before we show up, if you believe it, then why is it difficult to believe that the same sacrifice, everything requires, the Bible says everything requires blood, sprinkling of blood, even the things in the heavens. So before we even come before him, there has to be an atonement, there has to be sacrifice, there has to be blood shed. There has to be something that will speak for us before we come. Something that will give us access into the throne of grace. Something that will give us audience in the presence of God. So nothing is done. Nothing has been done. Nothing can be done unless there is a sacrifice. Unless there is one. So but then it says that it's a shadow of something good to come. Something better to come. So he wants to bring you and I to the place where he's not saying we no longer offer sacrifice, but we offer the sacrifice, but this time around, the sacrifice is different. Not just that the sacrifice is different, but the person being sacrificed and the conditions surrounding the sacrifice is completely different. Utterly different. Completely different. The conditions around that sacrifice is different from the conditions around the sacrifice before. But this time around is saying 
There is a uniqueness about this particular one. It will no longer be offered year after year, but it will be offered one time. One time. Not to be offered again. Not to be presented again. So it means that if that sacrifice is offered once, it means I have entered once and I'm not coming out again. Once that sacrifice is offered once, it means I'm inside and I'm not coming out again. I'm not coming out. So whom the son has set free is completely free indeed. You are not free the day you, are, you realize you are free. You are free the day he set you free. The receiving of your freedom, the acceptance of that freedom may be what will take a while. So you are saying, Pastor, I haven't seen the freedom. That's not because he has not set you free. I have not experienced the freedom. That's not because the freedom is not available. That's not because the sacrifice has not been made. It's the fact that you have not either accepted the fact that you're free or received the freedom that has been given to you. So what happens is you come with your own sacrifice moment by moment, day after day, month after month, week after after week, coming with your own sacrifice. So he said in verse 12 of verse 10 but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins one single sacrifice for sins he sat down at the right hand of God waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet for by a single offering He has perfected for all time those who have been sanctified. For all time. And then the Holy Spirit comes in and bears us witness. And says from this moment on, I will put my laws on their heart and write them on their minds. And I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. For where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Where the forgiveness has come, there is no longer an offering. There is no longer a sacrifice. So what it means is that I continually receive. I continually receive. So someone said to me, I need to confess the things that I've done wrong. I need to confess the things that I have done wrong. And I said, okay, go ahead and confess to God the things you've done wrong. And I asked, by the way, what are the things that you've done wrong? What are the things done wrong? And then when the person mentioned, I said, by whose account? By whose account? I said, you remember and in your mind you think these are the things that 
are done wrong, that you've done wrong, and that you can remember, and that you're confessing about. These are the things you've done wrong. But what about the things that you never knew were wrong, but in his eyes were 100% wrong? How do you confess those ones? Then I asked another question. I said, when do you think he forgave you? Was it the moment you confessed or the moment you asked for forgiveness or the moment you realized you've done something wrong? He said, well, but if I say it, I feel better. I said, oh, so it's about you and not him. It's about how you feel. So if you confess and it makes you feel good, then God has forgiven you. But as long as it makes you feel bad, God has not forgiven you. So I realized that receiving forgiveness and the forgiveness that God has given are two different things entirely. What most believers struggle with a lot in almost a major part of their life is the receiving of the forgiveness. Not the fact that God has not forgiven. Is the receiving of that forgiveness. It says he. The one who loves little. Has received little love. The one who loves much. Has received much love. That's why John the beloved would say. The disciple whom Jesus loved. Did Jesus not love the other ones? No. But this one has received it. He has personalized the love. That I have known and I have believed the love that God has for me. Not only do I know that he, he loves everyone, but I have personalized his love. That's why we say salvation is personal. You personalize what the Savior has done for you. Did he die for the whole world? Yes. Did he sacrifice for the whole world? Yes. But will people go to hell? Yes. But why are they going to hell? Because they've not received what he has done freely for them. The freedom that he has given to everyone, they've not received it. So you hear people argue and say that if God is a good God, why are people suffering? But what they fail to realize is the good God did do good by giving everyone the freedom that they deserve. Readily available. Readily available. So the writer went further to assure them that brothers and sisters we now have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain. Through his flesh. That's how we enter now. We no longer enter by the sacrifice of bulls and goats. Some of you may say, okay pastor, we don't do bulls and goats now. But some of you do beating yourself blue-black. You may not call it penance, but that's what you do. To atone for your misdeed. To atone for your errors. 
to atone for your mistakes. Fasting cannot replace it. You cannot fast your way to forgiveness. You can't pray your way to forgiveness. You cannot confess your way to forgiveness. You receive it. You can't cry your way to forgiveness. If I cry for one hour, God will forgive me. No. That is religious exercise. You just release enough water to clean your eyes and clear the dirt. You cannot study the Bible to forgiveness. You receive what has been given to you. The Bible enlightens you, gives you information, gives you insight, knowledge, so that you can receive what has been made available for you. That's what it does. It enlightens you. So he said this assurance of faith that we have is a full assurance. So by this we hold fast our confession. By this we hold fast our declaration. When we declare, when we confess, we are confessing from a point of assurance of faith. That whom the son has set free is free indeed. I cannot be held under bondage. Not because I am not um, tempted, no. But just the fact that he has set me free. Not because I don't stumble and fall from time to time. But no, just the fact that he has set me free. And if he has set me free, then I'm free indeed. I cannot be held under bondage. The power of sin, the power of condemnation cannot hold me down anymore because I'm free in Christ Jesus. So that's the full assurance of faith because in verse 11 when he began to talk about faith, he needed to let them know that those who did acts of faith came to that place of freedom. Those who did acts of faith came to that realization that they are free completely in him. That's why they could do the things that they did. So this assurance of faith needs to come before the acts of faith. This confidence assurance of faith needs to come. And it can only come when you realize that you're free. When you realize that there's no more sacrifice required. That there's nothing I will do that will make God love me less or love me more. No. The love he has for me is an eternal love. He had the love for me before and after. So I realize that what happens is that people struggle within themselves. And the, the things that they do within themselves, the, 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 the commitments, the, the religious practices are in such a way that to tell God, can you, like, like they're trying to buy the salvation or buy the freedom or pay something. You mean God will just forgive me like that? No, I have to do something. So maybe by the time I do morning cry for, for, for one week, God will hear my prayer. By the time, maybe uh, by the time I preach in the bus and God sees that I'm preaching everywhere, he will hear my prayer and he will forgive me. No. So he's telling them that, look, your assurance of faith should be based on the fact that you have been free in Christ Jesus and then there is no more sacrifice required. Those things in today's terms, they are bulls and goats that are presented so you enter. He said, no, but this time we enter through the one Jesus. We enter through the one sacrifice of Jesus. Shed eternally for us. 
eternally for us. Say, Pastor, what if someone is a criminal and he is been killing people everywhere, and as he's about to kill the last person, they told they caught him and they put the gun on his head and said, Now we're going to kill you. You've been killing everybody. Now we're going to kill you. And he says, Just give me um, two minutes. Say, Father Jesus, forgive me for all the people that I've just killed, including this one that I killed 30 seconds ago. So as I'm about to die, please forgive me. I receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Some of us, if we are there, we say, You will go to heaven. If you go to heaven, make I bend. Yeah, that would be our reaction. Say, if God forgive you, make I bend. For this the way you do, na 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 na. It's difficult for us to believe that the guy will actually be in heaven. Say, if I see you for heaven, I go go back. People say things like that, but literally they mean that there are some things that you can do that will even heaven will say, no space, no space. It's because we don't know the potency of the blood of Jesus. The potency of the sacrifice of Jesus. If you know it, your heart for people will be free. That beef you are beefing them will just end. Be completely and totally free. My wife was showing me a skit. The guy came and said, he's a preacher. The guy was washing clothes. He said, I've come to preach to you. He said, brother, I busy. He said, no, you must receive the Lord as your Savior today. He said, I'm busy. I don't want to listen. He said, no, where did they go? He held his trouser. He said, now say after me. The guy said, is it by force? He said, yes. You, you didn't say I could just did that. They waste my, they waste my, you must receive Christ today. The violent take it by, it's like you've been there. The violent take it by force. The liberty that he has called us to is free. Who told you that the moment you preach to someone, you must tell them now, repeat after me. You've sown the seed. The Bible says the seed is the word. You've sown the seed. Leave them alone. Let the seed do its work. There are people that have ministered to and left them. Months after they called me, said that day you spoke to me, I was working somewhere. The Holy Ghost just reminded me, come. And that was it. I got saved. Your job is to preach the word. Your job is to sow the seed. The Holy Ghost is the one that does the conviction. No human being can save anyone. I have heard people say to people, repeat after me. And after they repeated, they went back to drinking and smoking immediately. Say, bros, what thing happened? Say, that guy just disturbed me. I won't make him come out. But in your mind, I've saved the soul for the Lord. So who are we deceiving? When you understand the potential, you can never preach the gospel to anyone, the true gospel of Christ to any human being that, that, that is not so a seed in the person. If it's the gospel of Christ, that seed will enter. But if it's your own message, you'll be trying to convince the person. The time you tell someone, give me your hand, say after me, that does not mean that's when the person got saved. The person may have said it with his mouth, but his heart is not there. And once your heart is not there, you can't receive what Christ has given to you. Do you know how many times I came out to be saved? I did not know whether I was saved or not. I was just coming out. They said, today we come, tomorrow we come. Every day we just keep coming. 
Why? Because we had no, no knowledge. No knowledge. No knowledge. Reverend George was, was, was giving a story one time. He was preaching somewhere. After he has preached his heart out, everything. Called for altar call. Nobody came. Called for altar call. Nobody came. He started giving them. The day John Knox got saved, he was the only one. The day this one got saved, he was the only one. The one man came. One elderly man came outside. Stood there. And they led him to, to the counseling room. They said, sir. So, uh, repeat after me. The normal thing. He said, oh, don't worry, don't worry. He said, oh, sir, what happened? He said, I'm already born again. He said, ah, oh, sir, why did you come? He said, if I did not come out, that preacher will not end the service. True life story. So, but in our mind, we think that that act, you cannot be greater than Jesus. Do you think Jesus cannot save people by himself? You are just a mouthpiece. You are just an instrument. Sow the seed. Let the word do its work by itself. Let it do its work. One of my mentors was saying, the day he got saved, nobody preached to him. But all the preaching he has been hearing convicted him in his room that day and he got saved. He was just in his room, seated. Life frustrated. And then the Holy Spirit began to bring all the preaching he has been hearing. Right there, he knelt down, weeping, sobbing, crying. Nobody was around. Gave his life to Christ. He was the one that gingered me to be reading the Bible every year. He said every year he reads the Bible like three times. With his busy schedule, three times, back to back. After assuring them of these things, say so before we begin to talk about the acts of faith, you need to be assured that you are in a place where you can come, when you can come boldly. So he moved on to chapter 11. The writers of the book of Hebrew, he began his closing argument. By recommending the grace of faith as a life of faith. And then he expanded upon the nature and the fruits of this excellent grace. And there were three things he outlined in chapter 11. The nature of faith and the honor it reflects on all who live in the exercise of it. The nature of faith and that honor that it reflects. That's from verse 1 to verse 3. It says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. That are visible. The nature of that faith. And everyone who exercises it. That there is a honor that that faith reflects. It says by this faith is how we understand. 
that the universe was created. It's not saying that God has faith. God does not have faith. God cannot have faith. What does I mean? He said, we are the one that have the faith that makes us realize and recognize that, that, that the universe was created by his word. So it is this faith that lets us come to that understanding. That what was seen was not made out of things that are visible. So he began, the second thing he did was to give examples that we have in the Old Testament of those who have lived by faith and died and suffered extraordinary things by the strength of his grace. Talking about Abel that offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. Talking about Enoch, who was taken up so that he would not see death. And talking about Noah, being warned of God concerning events yet unseen. Talking about Abraham, that he obeyed when he was called out to go to a place that he was yet to receive as an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. But by faith, he went to live in the land of promise as a foreign land, in a foreign land. Living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, who are heirs of the heirs of the same promise. So all these acts talk about Sarah, talked about all these people. How that they had this assurance, this confidence. And that can, so he's saying that, look at all these people. They have not come to the place where you and I are. They have not come to the, to the perfect sacrifice of Jesus. Yet, they acknowledge this thing. They had this assurance. They have not come. All they had was a shadow of the good thing to come. But with that shadow, they moved in that direction. With that shadow, they had acts of faith. With that shadow. With that shadow. Then he now says, by the time you see all these examples, what about us? He says, we have a better advantage in this gospel as we exercise this grace. Above all those people that lived in the old times, above all of them, we have a better example. Better example. Go to verse 39. Because up to verse 38, he was talking about all these people. Moses that left Egypt. Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who are disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. All these people. Then in verse 38... Verse 39. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Have you walked on Red Sea? Have you stopped the mouth of lions? Yet it says that they did not receive what was promised. 
And now says, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. So what was coming to us was the perfect sacrifice. So we have a better advantage. Where this faith thing is concerned, you and I have a better advantage. Through the one Jesus. Through the one Jesus. Through the one Jesus. So I told you that when the writer of, of this book of Hebrews, the reason the writer wrote the book is that they had contentions. They had arguments. They had they were not sure of whether or not the Christ is the Christ or the doctrines of the Christ or who he is or if his blood was potent enough to deliver them, to help them. They were not sure. They weren't certain. So they had all manner of things happening to them. And at the same time, they had persecution to the highest level. So they were questioning this thing about Christ Jesus. They were questioning the potency of the sacrifice that wouldn't it have been better for us to offer the sacrifice of bulls and goats? Wouldn't that have been the thing? So the writer began to explain to them that look there is a better promise that it cannot be compared to what was what happened in the past and that we have an advantage and after explaining to them all these things now said this time around you've seen all the patriarchs of faith I want to now tell you that there is reason for you to have patience and persevere in your Christian faith. Persevere in your Christian faith. That even Christ himself suffered these things. These things you are complaining about. Go to verse 12. Chapter 12. Even Christ himself suffered these things. So you need to persevere. It says, therefore, seeing, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. So all these people, all these patriarchs of faith that I've mentioned, we're surrounded by them. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith. It says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and now is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He said, that's the picture that we should embrace. That though it looks difficult right now, but embrace the picture of Christ. Look into Jesus, who is the author and the finisher, the perfecter of our faith. That our gaze and our focus will continually be on him. That the persecution and the trials and the weight of sin is not enough because whom the Son has set free is free indeed. It's not enough to hold you back, it's not enough to keep you away. It's not enough. So look to Jesus. Look to Jesus.
said every affliction that you endure, that you are going through has a gracious gracious nature has a gracious nature encouraging them that don't grow weary times may be tough things may be challenging but don't grow weary don't grow weary he says consider him in verse 3 who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted in your struggle against sin you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons exhortation that addresses you as sons it says my son do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord nor be weary when reproved by him for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives it is for discipline that you have to endure God is treating you as sons for what son is there whom the father does not discipline So went further to explain to them that look, you need to now endure both the chastening of Christ and the afflictions that may come as a result of your walk with faith. That when all these things put together, as you are looking at Jesus, you have the hope to continue. You have the strength to continue. That your walk of faith, your Christian walk, will not be in vain. Will not be in vain. And then it went further to let them know that there is this koinonia between the state of the gospel church on earth and the triumphant church in heaven. There is this blend, there is this harmony in verse 18. It says, for you have not come to what may be touched. A blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them and that's what happened on the mount they begged no don't let God speak to us otherwise we'll die Moses you go and hear him then come tell us what he has said. He said, you have not come to such a place. You are no longer in such a place. He said, for they could not endure the order that was given. Even if a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. But that's not where you are right now. If God is speaking, and the beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. shall be stoned. But that's not where you are. I've had people come to me for, for counseling of some sort and things like that. And we'll talk and discuss. And they'll be lying to my face. Ho-ha! And I'll be looking at this person who knows I know you're lying correct lie with tears with tears if I were God of the Old Testament 
la shua la shua for now die but you have not come to that place he said indeed so terrifying was the sight that Moses said I tremble with fear he said but where you have come is Mount Zion the city of the living God the heavenly Jerusalem and innumerable angels in festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God the judge of all and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant and the blood of sprinkling that speaks better words than the blood of Abel see that's where you have come so the blood of Abel is, is speaking judgment, judgment, judgment. It says the blood of your brother Abel cries to me from the ground. But the blood of Jesus speaks mercy, mercy, mercy. So each time you show up, the blood speaks mercy, mercy, mercy. He said that's where you have come. So with all this knowledge, whom the son has set free, is free. With all this knowledge, whom the Son has set free is free. He says, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. See that you don't refuse him. He has brought us to a place of communion, koinonia, with him, deep fellowship fellowship but the understanding that he has set us free and we are completely free and that the sacrifice that he has made on the cross is a one time once and for all sacrifice it frees us to step into faith walk by faith do acts of faith how looking to Jesus Seeing him, the auto and the finisher of our faith. Stand to your feet. The author and the finisher of our faith. And then it ended by saying, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And let us offer God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. He's a consuming fire for your enemies. He's a consuming fire for your enemies but you and I have the advantage and by that advantage that's how we approach that's how we come the word is powerful enough the word is potent enough the word has enough strength of its own to wash you to purify you to cleanse you to make you whole it has enough of it. 
it has enough. So our job is to receive what Christ has done for us. The freedom that he has given to us, we receive. As believers, our job is primarily to receive. To receive. So we believe and we receive. Lift your hands to him. Someone say, I receive. I receive the freedom that Christ has bought for me. And in that freedom, I stand free. I choose to be free. No yoke of slavery. No yoke of bondage. I choose to be free. I choose to be free. Thank you, Father. Lift your hands to him. I am no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. I am no longer slave to fear. Thank you, Jesus. I am a child of God. You International. For information about Kingsword Ministries, visit us at kingsword.org for information and additional resources. Thank you for listening to this message. And remember, where the word of a king is, there's power.